if you're taking a moment or a memory, it's so much simpler than fiction because you, you don't have to dress it up. They don't have to put on their good clothes. You just simply get it down exactly as you remember it and then leave. Welcome to the book I had to write. I'm Paul Zakshevsky. Back in 2022, when I started this show, I was thinking a lot about urgency in writing. And as soon as I came up with that concept, I knew there was one writer I really wanted to talk to. That was Abigail Thomas. Today, I'm re-releasing the episode that we originally recorded a couple years ago. I discovered Abby's incredible memoir, Safekeeping, during my MFA a decade ago. The book covers a lot of ground. It's the story of her three marriages and the decades she spent raising kids. The narrator also jumps around. In point of view, from first to third, she mixes present and past tense. In fact, the first thing I had to figure out when I read the book was how she managed to do so much jumping around while still keeping me absolutely riveted. The answer I came to see had to do with voice. Abby Thomas has one of the great narrator voices in memoir. It's funny, shrewd, warm, but it never, ever tips into self-pity. I don't think Abigail Thomas can write a bad sentence. A couple of quick notes about this interview. She refers to a Chuck a lot. That's Chuck Verrill, a literary agent and her best friend for decades. He's one of the subjects of her memoir, What Comes Next and How to Like It. He passed away not long before we recorded this interview. And she references a memoir in progress. That book got published last year, and it's called Still Life at 80. The interview is filled with a ton of wisdom about what it means to write well, to live well. And I think of Abby Thomas as really one of the great teachers of both. I hope you enjoy the conversation. So partly what I wanted to do was talk about safekeeping, partly because it's just uh, the story of how it came about, I think, is really instructive. It actually helped inspire this podcast, the book I had to write. Good. Yeah. (laughs) Well, the essay, yeah, getting started, I think, um, you know, you tell the story of scribbling these short sections or scenes or vignettes. And this was in the wake of um, a close friend's passing, your second husband. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if you could tell that story a bit of of just how you found yourself starting to write these pieces. Well, I don't know how I found myself starting to write these pieces. He died. I I think the first one I wrote was, might have even been apple cake. I I don't know. All I know is that these little pieces came like popcorn out of me. I couldn't stop. One thing led to another. And I just kept writing and writing and writing. And after a while, I thought, well, gee, this is, there's a lot of pages here. Um, and I had thought the book would end when he died. And then I realized, but I'm not dead. There's more, more here to do. And the, the editor I'd had at Algonquin for three books of fiction, who's a wonderful editor, wanted me to turn it into a novel. She didn't like I mean, it's in first person and second person and third person. There's no chronological order, although I hope it makes a kind of emotional sense. And she wanted me to write a novel. But my life hasn't been lived like a novel. My life has been lived like a series of moments, you know. 
I didn't want anywhere to hide. You know, you write a novel and you can do all kinds of fancy footwork, but if you just, if you're taking a moment or a memory, it's so much simpler than fiction because you, you don't have to dress it up. They don't have to put on their good clothes. You just simply get it down exactly as you remember it and then leave. You know, you're distilling, not decorating. And it's so interesting what pops into your head. I mean, sometimes it's hap something that's just happened. Sometimes it's a freestanding memory that has no before or after, just, just a freestanding memory. And I didn't want to write a novel. I wanted it to feel the way my life had felt, which is a series of moments, you know, some of them are horrifying and terrible and upsetting and, and some of them are just purely hilarious. That's how I did it. And everybody turned it down except Robin Desser at Knopf because she saw something possible. And it wasn't finished. You know, I had about 90 pages and she began by asking me questions. I mean, she would say, could you add one more detail about that piece where your father's eating cake? And I could. She, every question she asked, I immediately knew the answer and put it in. It's harder for me, unless somebody asks me the right question. You know, when, when you've written something and you read it aloud to yourself and your voice goes dead, mm -hmm. you know, either there's something hiding that you don't want to deal with, or it's just played boring, or there's something missing. And I'm very good at cutting, but when I need to add, when I need to figure out what is this one last thing I need to do, there's one more thing here, and I don't know what it. That'll take me weeks to, to figure out to that. Get. Yeah, yeah. So you guys went back and forth, and that helped to shape the book a bit. Well, it, I, it helped to write the book. Shaping the book, that was hard. Putting it in some kind of disorder. I think when you're writing memoir and you don't know really quite how to put it together, if you think of it in three sections, it's usually usually three sections works. I don't I don't know why. What are those three sections well, when you think the, of them? Well for for a three dog uh, for for safekeeping <laughs> it was I think it was before and then mortality. And then the rest of my life, which I can't remember what I called that. But I mean, not Robin and me, but, but Chuck and I, and I think my daughter, Catherine, just put on the floor three lines and what would go where. Um, and I think the book starts, um, the, I think the first section contains both the present, the past, and, and, the, and the future. Um, I, that sounds, I mean, that sounds right to me, too. The center, um, the emotional center, is is your second husband, but it does feel like um, you you tell us go back and forth. I go back and forth. Yeah, yeah. Before I knew you, I am remembering the time just before I knew you, and then I knew you, and then you died. You can start with everything <laughs> if you do this in fragments. I think that's the popular word these days. In short pieces. You can really move almost anywhere from anywhere. You can go from 
I don't know how else to put that. It, um, it, it, it eventually will make a kind of sense to you, but you have to write what you have to write. If something catches your eye or keeps cropping up or coming out of nowhere, write it down. Mm-hmm. Write everything down um, that interests you or obsesses you and don't stop. Eventually it'll begin to make a kind of sense. And would you say that that's the core of this kind of book I have to write idea that-, that Oh is? God, yes. Yes, if you have to write, you have to write. And whatever it is, and the next interesting thing I like to say often shows up in disguise. I mean, if there's a peculiar shade of blue and it's giving you a funny thing, write it down. If, if a bug wanders across, it will begin to make sense. But everything that interests you or keeps coming back to you, write it, write it, write the moments. I mean, you're a, a long time, as we just talked about, a long time uh, teacher of, of other writers, other memoir writers. When they are stuck or, or you feel like their work is lacking urgency, is this the advice that you're giving them? That's the advice that I give them, but I also give them assignments so they've got something to work with. You know, I was looking back in an old diary, and in the middle of a Thanksgiving dinner, I was writing about was the sentence, this is a lie I've told before. So that is an assignment I give now all my incoming students, (laughs) two pages of, it used to be the first assignment I gave was to take, and this is, this popped into my head when I was crossing 110th and Broadway a hundred years ago. Take any 10 years of your life, reduce them to two pages, and every sentence has to be three words long, not four, not five. It can be a fragment, obviously, but it can't be a fragment which put together with the next one makes a sentence, like I went out to the store. The most, one of the most memorable was, he was cute. I was clueless. It seemed right. <laughs> the nice thing about the three-word sentence is there's nowhere to hide. You can't hide behind a sapling. You're going to give something up, you know? When I was researching this interview, I was looking on Amazon, and I saw someone who was actually um, talking about safekeeping and referred to you as the mistress of white space. Yeah. I'll tell you one other really interesting thing. What you don't remember is as interesting as what you do remember. So if there's something you don't remember, say so. I don't remember what we talked about, but, you know, one of the other assignments I give is write down th- nine things you don't remember, starting with I don't remember, followed by nine things you do remember. And sometimes what you don't remember sets off the memory. You know, it's just... Anyway, if you don't remember something and it's important, say so. It's like you're tricking your brain into it. Well, sometimes it's just important to say, I don't remember how this happened. I don't remember why I said this. I don't remember why I did it. I don't remember. It isn't the same as white space, but I can promise you that what you don't remember is every bit as interesting as what you do if you say so.
She's a writer and she teaches writing. Well, not teaches writing because you can't do that, but you can certainly locate the interesting. You can go over the page with sandpapered fingertips and say, here, what's really going on here? And if you're lucky, the writer blushes and says, oh, I thought I could just skip over that part, which means you have discovered a gold mine. And you say, no, sorry, you're going to have to write it. She gives assignments so nobody has to face the blank page alone with the whole blue sky to choose from. Write two pages, she says, in which somebody can't stop apologizing. Two pages in which somebody kills something with a shoe. Two pages containing a French horn, an ear infection, and a limp. Describe somebody by what they can't take their eyes off. Two pages. Two pages in which someone is inappropriately dressed for the occasion, and so forth. Nothing goes to waste. You know, the section I had you read um, regarding your students and that there are places where um, they want to gloss over. Can you talk a bit about that experience? I'm, I'm sure it comes up a lot in your workshops. I mean, I use sandpapered fingertips because that's how safe crackers open <laughs> the safe. And if you go over, you can usually tell when someone is headed somewhere and then turns around, comes back or goes over to the left when they were clearly going this way, but it, it was clearly going to be something they didn't want to write about. The trick is, if there's something that you have been hiding even from yourself, and you don't want to look at it, all of its power comes from the dark. You can bring that up, and in the light, it's still something you'd rather not look at, but it's finite. It has edges, and it loses the power. And once you write it, the other thing is the more vulnerable you make yourself, the stronger you become. That's just true. Did I answer I, it? Yeah, the nothing is wasted. Nothing I is guess. wasted. You need to write about the stuff you don't want to write about. I, I'm not sure it should be the point of the book. Um, you have to find a side door. You have, you have to find a side door, and it, it isn't therapy. Writing isn't therapy, but it, if you're truthful and honest and write what you need to write, it has the effect of you've made something out of it separate from yourself. You've revealed things to yourself about yourself, and it's a way of forgiving yourself, you know, and others. But if there's something you want to write, you just have to write all the time, and it, it doesn't have to be necessarily anything you think is going to go anywhere. Just bits and pieces, bits and pieces. You've also written that um, I'm bored by chronology. Oh, God. I don't even believe in chronology. <laughs> no, I don't believe it. I don't believe in chronology. I, and the older you get, the more you don't believe in chronology or even time. What is, what is it? I mean, I'm at the age now where I live entirely in the moment. Sometimes the moment is a good one. Sometimes it's a more interesting one. But that's where I am. I never think about the future. I do have memories, and I write about them. As I wrote somewhere, 
you discover that the past is every bit as unpredictable as the future. And for me, the future is behind me. You know, I don't have, I just have now. Do you feel like your students get hung up by chronology? Not mine. But I think people do. Some stories need to be told chronologically. The Glass Castle, that needed to be a chronological story. What do you feel like separates a story that needs to be told chronologically by one that doesn't? Well, I will confess that I have a poor memory except for the things I remember. So putting them in chronological order makes very little sense to me. It's why this now? Why am I thinking of this now? Why this memory? Write it down. You'll find out why. The trick is not to boss them around, you know, just let them come. And they will. I guess this is a companion question to that, which is um, when I've worked with people in the past, the fact they don't remember things seems to trip them up. I don't remember that. And how can I write this? Then write you don't remember. I don't remember. I mean, what kinds of things are you thinking of? It seems to come out out of this fear that somehow you won't. I I don't know. Actually, I don't want to surmise why people get hung up on this. So it may not be that interesting a question. Well, it is an interesting question. It's only interesting because I really do think that what you don't remember belongs in there. Because in the course of writing this, you may begin to remember or you may begin to remember why you don't remember. But it is interesting for the reader to, to know that the writer is at least honest enough to say, I don't remember why I did this. I don't remember what came before, because it's so human. I mean, And that makes us want to read someone. They're being vulnerable yeah. and real. And I think, I think the worst thing you can have if you're writing memoir is absolutely photographic memory so that you remember absolutely everything because you can't tell then what stands out. You know, it's, it becomes just, a monotone of this happened and then I had a sandwich and I had peanut butter and then I put jelly in it and then I took a bite and put it back. If you're writing memoir and you're leaving something out that you don't want anybody to know, who are you fooling? I mean, what's the, what's the point? What are you writing memoir for? Make a story. Right, right, right. Make it fiction. Which is what your editor originally wanted. Yes, like. but my life hasn't been lived like a novel or as somebody once said, a very bad novel. Um, it's been lived in a series of moments that I both cherish and am ashamed of or happy laughing my ass off or, or great difficulty. You know, this was a very difficult time and you have to write about it and why. Do you feel looking back that uh, you've always been more of a memoirist than novelist that, that somehow memoir resonates for you more? Well, I am now. And most of the stories I wrote were drawn from my life. I mean, I was using my life, but I made it fiction. When I first started to write, and I didn't start till I was 48 or 49, I wanted to write about having had to get, the only claim to fame I had was that I got pregnant in Bryn Mawr when I was freshman, and I got kicked out and never went back to college. And I wanted to write about that, and I wanted to write about that marriage, which was, both of us were, I mean, he was 19 and I was 18, 
and we had no idea how to we just we were either incredibly polite or we were fighting and i started to write about a night i remembered when we had a really big fight i was stirring the beginnings of bacon d and pudding and he came and we had a big fight so i wrote that down it was four pages it was exactly as i remembered it and i read it over and i thought this isn't writing this is tattling and i realized in order to write about that situation where two young people have to get married i'd have to throw myself a curve i'd have to make a, a real change and i did i made him i made me in love with my husband which i didn't remember being and then i made him in love with somebody else and then the story picked up and walked off on its own and it was fiction So I wanted to shift gears a bit and then ask you, um, what do you feel uh, was the result of having published Safekeeping, kind of finding this amazing memoir with a new form? I, I've yet to encounter another memoir that, you know, toggles back and forth with point of view and tense and jumbled chronology in quite the way that yours does. Was there, was there a result that you can look back to in terms of, of having published this, either that for yourself or, or, you know, the public? Well, one of the things that, that people objected to was that I wrote both in the first person and the third person and the second person. There were things I wrote in the third person because I, I was no longer the person I was writing about or I needed distance. If you're having trouble writing something, try writing it in the third person. It may not remain in the third person, but sometimes the third person knows more than the first person does. Mm -hmm. And it's a, it's a, it's a good, so I, I learned that. Um, and I wasn't really thinking about it when I wrote it. There were just pieces that needed, I just couldn't do it in the first person. Um, I got, addicted i'm a junkie for memoir i'm i and then when my husband got hurt i had to write about that so i wouldn't lose my mind and i wrote about that as it was happening i don't know i'm just not interested in reading fiction or writing fiction anymore life is so interesting and you feel like that was partly a result of all these great insights that you had from writing safekeeping. It yes. Like. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you can do anything you want as long as it works. There's no rules. I mean, if I'd gone to college and I'd heard about denouement and narrative arc and all that shit, I don't think I'd ever written a word. If somebody would be looking over my, I had a hard enough time anyway, thinking, who do you think you are? But I'm just, I'm, I'm interested in what is happening around me. I'm interested in, what's going through me. I'm interested in, I'm just interested in daily life, you know, just my dogs getting old, which is so much better than being young. You can tell your students it's much better to be 80 than it is to be 25. It's so much simpler. <laughs> All this shit you used to care about, you just don't give a shit anymore. 
you met you've mentioned a couple times to me now the there's a small book yeah there's a little book there's a Can little you say book. anything about that um well i think what it turned out to be is a book about i think the only thing holding it together is that an old woman is writing it and it's an old woman who really likes to be old yeah it starts out i'm about to turn 80 and then there's the pandemic and we're all mm-hmm. inside and i am so appalled i can't write about politics but i can allude to them so there's a year of having to be home and then we're suddenly out the door again i don't i can't really explain it it's a memoir it's about just what i notice it's just the same as the other ones except it's different you know it's rather funny do you work i mean in the way that you did it with safekeeping it sounds like you worked quite closely with your Knopf editor. Is that um, a kind of relationship that you still have with editors? Um, what comes next really was just, I got it done. Mm-hmm. I would show things to Chuck and I would show things to Catherine. And if Chuck liked it, I knew it was good. And if he said something else or made another, made another suggestion, I trusted him. That is sort of more chronological than anything because it starts with, it's about a friendship and then there's a hole that is blown through the friendship. And then there is the way we became friends again. And we did it simply by, okay, we're going to have dinner. We're going to hate every minute of it. We're going to have dinner. Doesn't work. Okay, we're going to do it again and again and pretty soon. The reason we had become friends in the first place was the reason we became friends again. I remember when I said to Chuck, okay, you write it. You write your half of this. You write how come we became such good friends. So he sent me two sentences. She was funny. So was I. (laughs) (laughs) That's in the book, I think. I I know. And and I just loved it. (laughs) And it was exactly right. I give three workshops. I give one Monday, one Tuesday, and one Thursday. And the Thursday workshop is for people with cancer from whom I've learned more about how to live than life. Um, That's the one workshop I never skip. I don't know why I'm bringing that up right now. Tell Tell me about that workshop. It's very hard to write about. I wrote about it a little bit, I think, in What Comes Next and How to Like It. It's hard to write about because there are so many losses and I can't write about it. I can't write about that. And I don't know why, except that I can't find the words for it. Abby, I, I want to thank you so much for oh, making the time. I hope some of this has been useful. Just write. <laughs> That's the advice. Just write. doesn't have to make any sense at first. You know, you have done more than... I think any other writer that I can think of in terms of helping me really think through and shift how I do memoir. I've loved memoir for a long time, but I think your approach just has really kind of liberated the way I write. So I just, I want to thank you for that. Oh, I'm so glad. Thank you. That's the nicest thing a writer can hear. That's just the nicest thing a writer can hear. been listening to my interview with memoirist Abigail Thomas. I'm Paul Zakrzewski. If you've enjoyed the show, 
then I hope you'll subscribe in Apple Podcasts. I'm always grateful for reviews and for sharing the show with friends. To get show notes and a transcript delivered to your inbox, please subscribe to my newsletter, The Book I Want to Write. It's at bookiwanttowrite.substack.com. Every week, I also publish short essays about writing mindset, developments in publishing, and more. If you're working on your own book you have to write, or you want to get started, maybe I can help. Find out more about me and my book coaching at bookiwanttowrite.substack.com. That's bookiwanttowrite.substack.com. And thanks for listening.